Sound Design Live. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook today at audibletrial.com/slash/sounddesignlive. I'm here today speaking with sound up and designer Andrew Graham, or Andy. Uh, he's a theatrically trained board operator who has already worked on many productions in London's West End. Uh, he's here at Berkeley Rep in California, my hometown, and he's here with Knee High Theater's original work called Wild Bride. Um, so Andy, obviously I want to talk to you about Knee High Theater, but first I want to know how you got into West End, because I imagine there's a lot of competition for those kinds of jobs. I think there becomes a lot of competition when I think it's one of those things that's strangely easy to get into because we work very much taking people on recommendations. You can do a drama school training. That's what I did. I'd always done amateur theatre and then I took a year out before I came to a college in London and worked in, you know, sort of a, a, a producing and receiving houses, so getting to know how the industry works from a sort of more professional point of view. Then went to London and spent two years at drama school, which was a fantastic opportunity to get to London. I'm from Liverpool, so that's about mm -hmm. 250 miles away, something like that, 200 mm -hmm. miles away. So it really got me into the culture, meeting people. And then in terms of actually how did I get into the jobs, I was very fortunate. I met up with a friend one afternoon for a coffee, someone I had worked with back at home. He was an A2 operator on a show about 12 or 13 years ago. And he said, oh, you're still interested? That's fantastic. Why don't you come in this evening and just see, see how we do it from a different point of view? And then 24 hours later, someone was sick and they said, well, you were in yesterday. And that was a real baptism of fire, going from thinking you know everything as a 14, 15-year-old to realising you don't know much as a 17 or 18-year-old to being 18 or 19 and realising you know nothing and you Surprise. have to be taught it and here you go. <laughs> so you were making connections but you weren't necessarily promoting yourself really hard but you made connections in school and then you were just there at the right time. Yeah and I think that's what in terms of competition for jobs a lot of it is about being in the right place at the right time. Sure. We don't have a union, a strong union like you guys do here so we don't really have to prove anything to anyone <laughs> apart from <laughs> do it, can we get on? Can you do the job? Are you competent? You know, in, in a lower down job, should I say, like an A3 or A4, um, running radios backstage, it's going to be much more important that you can get on with the cast, that you can do your job, that, that you're a people person and people want to have you around. When was your first opportunity to move was, to a mixing or A1 position? I was very lucky. We tend to share on some shows, the responsibilities in the so West End. So we rotate okay. within, a within a show, within a department. So uh, a number three or an A3, as you call it here, on some shows will learn to operate. And they might, if they're lucky, get to operate the show once or twice a week to keep, keep their hand in and, and keep, you know, keep the skill levels up there. So that eventually, so you are an, an A3 or number three, and it's a really good sort of feeder system to nurture things and eventually people may move to a different show and that's that's how it comes about. So I was, I uh, at college worked on a show called The King and I mm -hmm. um, at the London Palladium as a, as a part-time or a, like an overhire as you would call it here, just covering people's holidays and sicknesses 
And then eventually another show came along with the same design team and they, some of the operators left The King and I to go and do this new show to do My Fair Lady. And the job, the number three job came up and they said, well, Andy's here, he knows the cast, he, you know, doing, as I said earlier, just doing those real basics, hopefully doing them well, let's get him in doing, doing the job full time. The job won't actually change, he'll just do it eight times a week and get paid a bit more instead of <laughs> two or three times a week and not paid that much. I felt it was good for me slow burn to get to where I am now rather than trying to have goals for myself and say in two years time I'm going to do this and next year I'm going to apply for that. So it's a, a really, a really sort of good way of slowly working my way up. Yeah, that's interesting because you probably, probably didn't come out of school saying I want to immediately get this in this position. You just wanted to be involved and work your way up. Absolutely. In fact, almost the opposite. I would start some jobs. Um, I did a show called Guys and Dolls about six or seven years ago now. Maybe it wasn't quite that long uh, as the number two operator. And I'd never worked with the number three operator before. And she said, oh, so I, do you want to be a number one? Do you want to be a designer? And I said, no, 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 absolutely not. <laughs> I love doing this. This is what I like doing. I believe there's a real skill to to each of the job roles, it's they're not just sort of things that you do while you wait to step up to the next one. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, 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 absolutely not. I'd, I'd be awful at it. I'd be terrible. And sure enough, nine months later, there I was as the <laughs> as the number one on the show. Having someone had left, I'd moved up. Same same deal. We've been doing it for long enough. We like to give you the opportunity. Someone came in, obviously underneath me, who was very experienced and she was able to support me through every terrible decision I made, every bad idea, every, all of that. So, so we're really good at supporting each other and, and helping. Won't somebody, won't somebody help me please Went down to the crossroads And the devil cured his misery Down at the crossroads Mihai Productions is not, Mihai Theatre is not based in London. No. So how did you get involved with them? Did you move out of London? No, it's it's a story that's going to start to sound familiar now. I had worked with the sound designer of this piece and many other recent knee-high shows called Simon Baker. I'd done a couple of shows with him and Brief Encounter was a show that he was brought in to design. He wasn't necessarily part of the knee-high creative team but through the various different connections like I described earlier. Um, he was brought in as a sound designer on a recommendation. They didn't know him, but someone said, this is the guy that is going to design this show for you. Mm -hmm. As I understand the story, I could be wrong. So they, Simon and, and then the Nehi team, created Brief Encounter, which did a small, not exactly a UK tour, but played a couple of venues in the UK, and then moved down to London to the West End. And it's a show that I had nothing to do with, apart from going to see it and loving it and thinking it was fantastic. Um, and then it came about to going on a UK tour. I'd just finished a show with Simon and he said, well, I've got this brief encounter thing coming up. Did you see it? Did you like it? And he basically said, I'd really like it if, if that's what you did for me next. So I worked, the way I would describe it is for Simon as a sound designer looking after the show rather than for knee-high as a knee-high team member, sound operator. And then... Obviously, as time has gone on, that's a couple of years ago now, I've worked more and more exclusively almost for Knee High okay. doing, doing their shows. So I haven't upped sticks. Not everyone lives down in Cornwall. That's where their, their base is. But a lot of the 
staff and, and actors are effectively freelance who will regularly come together as part of a pool and create shows that then become knee-high theatre shows. I saw that you have credits as an operator and a production engineer, and I got confused. I think it's probably very simple. An operator won't necessarily be involved in much of the fit-up procedure, so they won't have an input into what speakers are chosen, they won't have an input into where they're rigged, how they're rigged, how they're cabled, how they're labelled. They won't do any of that. They'll be in a rehearsal room making sure that they can get their the, the script down, the desk programmed, you know, liaising with, with designers and with everyone else, make sure the sound effects are, you know, there's communication, but their job is almost solely to operate the show. Mm-hmm. A production engineer won't have anything to do with the operating of the show, will put the desk in position, will help, will, will rig the speakers, will be in charge of getting the system up and running, laying out the pit, miking the pit, all of those sorts of things. So it's two sort of one is a one is a preparation role that finishes round about your opening night. The other is a role that starts, you know, sort of later on in the process and then continues for the run of a show. So I saw Wild Bride um, a couple of weeks ago. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Uh, the first two things that surprised me about the production were that none of the music is written down, and there's no script going into rehearsals. Emma Rice, the director, writes, a script would be far too prescriptive, and the one thing theatre needs is room for surprise, which I think is great. Um, So this is a big contrast between traditional theatre productions that start with a script from which everyone bases their work. Um, And I want to read you one more quote, and then I wonder if you could talk about the process a little bit. So another quote from her is, I'm a great believer in letting your instincts do the work. If you think too hard, it all comes through the head. Personally, I think the head is one of the least interesting bits of the human experience. I think it's those sorts of deep, dark, icy, icebergy feelings that are the most interesting ones to explore. That sounds like a great quote. Very (laughs) typical of Emma as well. Fantastic. Uh, Yeah, the process, or to start with the script and the music not being written down, uh, Emma, I think, will always have an idea of obviously what show they're going to do, maybe the style it's going to be performed in, and she'll have ideas in her head. We'll have selected the actors from mainly a group that she, you know, that she is used to working with, and she won't necessarily audition people. She'll have a very good idea what she's going to do and how she's going to do it, but it sort of stops round about there because it's not a firm, it's not a set way. And then it's very much about... Uh, from a music point of view, they'll know the star stage, like for example, The Wild Bride is going to be quite blues orientated and also have some sort of Eastern European and folk influence because of who we have in the company from various different countries. So the composer, Stu Barker, has those really basic uh, sort of I- ideas and will come to the rehearsal room almost on day one, but certainly by the end of the first week with half a dozen tunes, pretty much already written, just the basics. We don't know what the show is, we don't know how long it's going to be, but he's say this. we're going to have this sort of feel, we're going to have that sort of feel. Music is very important to Nihai, so everyone will pick up an instrument, even if they can't play it, you're encouraged to just grab a banjo or, or pick up the cello or anything to make a bit just of pick noise. pick up the cello, pick up, no yeah. problem. You know, and that sounds like I'm belittling the work they do because they're all fantastic, but it's very... No, but I'm just some, thinking, you know, a cello instrument, that kind of instrument could take a couple of years to learn. And, yeah. Um, but these, but on the show, they, they look like they're really skilled 
It's yeah, not just like they just picked up an instrument. Of course. There's, um, how am I best to describe it? There are a couple of people, um, Stu McLaughlin and Ian Ross, who are definitely musicians who can, who will play their instruments and sing or act as required. So they are the, the core group of the music with the show. Then various other people um, can play an instrument, whatever it may be, and they will bring that to the piece. And then you might have someone who isn't particularly doing something at that moment when they're creating a piece of music. So, so they'll be handed something and say, just hit it or pluck it or anything. Just, <laughs> it doesn't have to be in tune, it doesn't have to be right, but let's just, let's get everyone involved, let's create this sort of... The more we create, the easier it is for Emma or the, the very creative team to narrow down and, f and, and sort of shape into a show, mm -hmm. which I guess ties in with not having too much text. If you know that you have to say this next, you have to say, you have to stand there, you have to do this, you're already ruling out what might happen if you say something else or if you go there instead or take a different So how route. does the... So, you, so they come in with ideas and there's a composer who starts writing music. How does... The dialogue get written. The dialogue. Um, Carl Gross is the writer of this piece and has written um, a lot of other knee-high shows. So he, again, in the same way as Stu Barker for the music, he will have been given a brief by Emma. He'll he'll know that it's going to be of this style. So he'll start writing things, and it, it various different knee-high shows. It could be just write a poem about something, and that may become a piece of text that's featured in the show, or it might just be something that people read and and then it and then it will be formed into something else. So there's always a lot of ideas around. It's not people sitting in a room waiting for divine inspiration. Mm -hmm. And then it's just the bringing all of those ideas together. And Emma is fantastic at shaping them and sort of say, you know, Keats will often say, make me an offer, you know, throw a sound effect in, throw a lighting cue in, do, do something, and then I can decide whether I like it or whether it inspires me to say, I'll do that, but do this instead. So, so everyone's constantly encouraged to create um, lighting designers, sound designers are all in rehearsals pretty much from week one as well. So they can j just get an idea, throw some things in, try some stuff out, talk it through. That We sort of strangely believe the working day shouldn't be I have to be careful how I phrase this. It shouldn't be a 10 till 6 rehearsal day mm -hmm. because what if you have a fantastic idea at 10 past 6? Um, you know, how, how do you incorporate that? So often everyone will rehearse together and stay and live together down at the rehearsal space in Cornwall so that the rehearsal time slot will obviously come to an end but then everyone will cook together and eat together and it may be a chance conversation in a corner that someone says yes absolutely and then they'll go off and they'll start playing an instrument or someone will see something you know written down or in a newspaper and say we have to feature that or I was reading about this so it's it's a constantly creative environment that eventually has stuff written down and then it becomes more and more solidified but I would say it never stops the show this show in particular changes Every two or three weeks, we'll add some bits in. We'll cut a bit out. We'll we'll always be shaping it. I don't I don't think that there will ever be such a thing as the perfect show, or the ultimate show, or the one that we freeze and set and try and perform religiously eight times a week, yeah, like you might do on a more of a commercial or Broadway West End. Sure, I was curious about thing. that because you know another compare another contrast with traditional theatre is that you have opening night and then the idea is that nothing changes after that, and it's the, the yeah. It's the, 
the job of the people running the show to make nothing change, and and that's that's something desirable. But in your case, it seems like you've built up a lot of inertia of creation, and then you just you don't necessarily stop that after opening night. No, and that's something strangely that I struggled with a bit when I first sort of started with Knee High and, and doing their shows because I'm, with my background, very used to having a, a set show. And it doesn't mean it's the right show, but it has the one that we're used to performing, used to being involved in, everyone knows what's going on. And, and you know, you're looking to effectively do the same thing, almost exactly the same thing, eight times a week. With Knee High, that's not the case. We all We always want to do the same great show, but if someone has an idea, they might throw it in there and then and just see what happens. They may discuss it before and say, we're going to try this tonight, or uh, some of the creative staff might come in and say, I've never liked that bit, let's do something completely different. Mm -hmm. So we're always looking at it, always evaluating it. It definitely sounds like a fun show to work on for you. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's, um, you don't get bored, hopefully. No, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> We're about to have our 100th performance, and uh, wow. I think that's this evening, actually. We, and it's, yeah, it's going, it's going strong, and there's you know, new ideas coming up all the time. And it's, it's great to feel part of the show as well. You know, I'm not just the sound op sat at the back, pressing go on a queue list, waiting for them to stand in the right place or say the right thing. You know, very much part of of what we're creating on a, on a daily basis, if that doesn't sound too silly. Telling the story. And, and telling the story and holding fire and really feeling, trying to feel what they're feeling, even if you are 100 feet away or something like mm -hmm. that. Today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com. Get a free audiobook today at audibletrial.com slash sounddesignlive. I believe all of the actors and instruments are mic'd except for one of the actors, Audrey Breeson, uh, who's... Obviously, I realize she can't be mic'd because she gets covered in mud during the first uh, the first act. Yeah, we did try though. Oh, you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's part of the knee high way. You know, try it. It might cost a microphone. It might be a silly idea. But who's to say that it won't work unless we try it and prove it doesn't work? So yeah, we, we tried and failed. <laughs> well, so she does eventually sing, and when it comes time for her to sing, uh, one of the other actors brings out. Uh, a replica of a Shure 55S, I think, on yeah, a stand. Yeah, yeah. I think that's significant because up until then, it's every, most of the technical elements are pretty much hidden. Using the period SM55 is sort of a knee-high sound icon. Many shows prior to, say, the last five years wouldn't have been radio mics. There wouldn't have either been the budget for it or perhaps even the technical creative team to facilitate it and with Simon coming in I think that sort of lifted a, a, a few sort of not production values but saying we can prove that we can use radio mics we can make them work whereas the company's been going for 30 years and they've probably tried radio mics and it's not really worked out so so we've managed to sort of change a few feelings and say we we can use radio mics we can deliver what you want hopefully accurately eight times a week but the so Nehi are very used to having cabled mics on stage. If you get to a point in a performance where you need someone to be mic'd, it would have just been in a 58 or something. We did a show last year, The Red Shoes, that's 10 years old uh, and was brought back for Nehi's 30th anniversary. Uh, and we used a couple of SM58s on cables and that with no radio mics whatsoever. And that was thinking, that's strange. You know, we've got technology. We can mic them. We can hide mics. We can do all this. No, it's, it's part of the Nehi 
look and feel if we change too much we sort of take away some of the beauty of saying well this is a cable this is how we do it so a cabled mic is absolutely acceptable within the knee-high world what are you doing for uh, stage monitors for the actors what are you putting in there well we don't really have any stage fallback in the show, strange enough. On this show, we've got a couple of uh, UPQs, yes, UPQs, hanging up stage, and they do the bulk of the work for the sound effects so that we can focus everything into the acting space. I also use them heavily as, a, as an image point for the band system because the, the musician sits upstage almost under one of those speakers. We don't do any vocal fallback. Uh, and the actors are okay with that? Yes. I hope so most of the time. Never it's, about it. um, you I every so often something they you know, it's not necessarily a case of them not being able to hear themselves, but something else will be too loud on stage and get in the way. I'm I'm not a great fan of vocal fallback, I think. Oh man, across, I always try to get away without doing it. But then it, it almost always comes up, so I have to be, I feel like you have to be prepared, but hopefully it doesn't happen. I, I don't think I've ever done a show with vocal fallback. Really? I've, well, I've done stuff where maybe one person needs a bit of something or a bit of reverb or because of physically what's going on on stage, you cannot hear. You know, if you've got someone downstage right and someone else downstage left and they just can't, can hardly hear themselves, never mind each other, so you might have to do something to keep them in time. But in terms of stage mix with all the monitors going through, I've, I'm sure I will have done it, but nothing springs immediately to mind as saying, oh, yes, we had to do that for that show. And I'm really grateful for that because yeah. you get rid of a hell of a lot of problems. Oh man, it's a big quality issue. Yeah, quality for the audience and for the other performers as well because you're never going to get three or four people happy with each other's mixes. So the best thing to do is get that, get that stage area right without things like that, I believe, and then, and then you can sort of see, what, see where they're going from there. So tell me about the asylum where Nihai is based. It's configurable in many different ways, um, almost like a circus big top. Um, I think they call it a geodesic design. Oh, I might be wrong there. Um, that is a big sort of long corridor structure with a couple of domes either side of it. And we can configure it in any different way that we want. Nothing is really fixed apart from the structure itself. Um, and it's only been in operation for two years now. What do you mean nothing is fixed? Do you mean the things inside the tent? The things inside it okay. are, so there is no grid, for example. There's no rig for where the lights or speakers set, anything can go. There's obviously the structure of the tent itself, which you can rig from. It's, it's designed to be a flexible space, so we can perform thrust, promenade, end on, in the round, whatever the shows need, we will work out how they're going to sit in the space, the audience configuration, and then from there say, okay, well, we're going to need a, a lighting position there, we're going to need a speaker there, and it all comes around, but it's, it's fresh every year. That's the idea of it. Right, I should mention that for people who are going to hear this and not see the shows, that there's, there's some pretty exciting moments when the actors just turn to the audience and ask them, like, what should I do? Yeah. Or, oh no, where did the other actor go? Yeah. Uh, the other character, whatever. Um, and I was pretty surprised that when I saw the show, people would yell stuff back at them. Some, I can't remember 
at one point when he said, what should I do now? Somebody said, get a lawyer. Yeah, the get a lawyer line was fantastic because that was a case of, <laughs> oh, yes, here we are, we're in America. That, <laughs> there is, uh, we've had all sorts of different things shouted out. But, um, yeah, get a lawyer or sue are particular favourites to hear out here because <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a real difference between the cultures. Do anything fun while you've been here? Can you Do you want to recommend anything to do in the Bay Area for people coming here for the first time? I loved going to Alcatraz. Um, I went there twice last time and I will go again here. because <laughs> it's. Are you going to do the night tour? Yeah, well, we did the night tour last time, but the night tour has different um, people taking you on different sort of sections of it. So, I, I, yeah, I'll do it again, but do a different part of the night tour. Where is the best place for people to follow your work online or for to follow Nihai's work? www.nihai.co.uk and that's got everything you need to know about them and their shows and okay. the people involved and, and they do Twitter as well, which I think is We Are Nihai and they do Facebook, so they're great in the office at, at promoting that. I'm just, I'm not very good at it myself. <laughs> I, should, I should work on that. I should get a body of work together and then sell myself and, uh, and try and get even more. Just, yeah, just keep keep trying. And I think that's come out of doing work with Nihai. You know, a lot of this show, when the script did come together, would, for example, say, thunder, 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 for the various different entrances and exits. And we sort of said, OK, so thunder, but we're not going to do thunder. We're going to do, we have water phones, we have crashes, we have bangs. We, so don't always take everything at face value. Try and, yeah, try and think outside the box a bit. Mm. And sometimes people will think you're an absolute genius. And other times they'll turn around and say, where's the thunder I asked for? Sound design 